Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof? Selah. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We need to remember verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge and our strength. It helps, first of all, to remember why is it that we do the things that we do. Why am I a father? Why am I raising kids? Why am I going to work in the morning? Why do I get out of bed in the morning? Some days I ask that question. Why? Uh, I don't know if it's worth it today, right? But nobody will let me stay in there all day, so i got to get up. But why do we do, why do we come to church? Why do we come to this church? Why do we serve in this church? Why do we do what we do for this church? If you forget your why, the rest of it will fall apart. If you get to thinking that by serving in this church, you're doing me a favor, and you are, I appreciate it, you're going to burn out. Because eventually I'm not going to be worthy of your help anymore. I'm going to fall short. I'm going to upset you. I'm going to let you down. If you come to serve this church for the church, one day the church is no longer going to be worth your time because it's not going to pay you back. Why do I come to church? Why do I preach here? Why do I stay here? If I'm doing it for you guys, I love you guys, by the way. But if that's my motivation, eventually I'm going to burn out. And I'm going to say, I just, I can't do it no more, right? What's happened? God, we forgot who we serve and why. We forgot that we're serving God. Why do I stay home and continue to raise my kids? All right? If I forget that I'm raising these kids for the Lord, and I get to thinking I'm just raising these kids because that's just what guys are supposed to do, I may bail out. Leland, you wouldn't do that. Men do that every day. That's why Brown County has a family court. We have enough of that in Brown County that we have a family court. Mm -hmm. But if I'm raising the kids for God, then bailing out is not even an option. We need to remember our motivation. We're going to let each other down. We don't mean to let each other down. Sometimes we just don't feel like not letting each other down. 
But we love each other and serve each other, not for each other's benefit, but for God's. But we go through these times when we're tired, when we're beat down, when we're hurting, and, and we have this pain inside our hearts. Tim Hawkins has a joke where they, some, a lady asked him his favorite verse, and he just wrote a verse down, and, and, and the verse that he wrote, the scripture reference he wrote down leads to a verse that says, Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. And everybody had a good laugh about that. But sometimes we have that painful disease that just goes down into our very core. Yeah. You know, we, we hurt from the inside out. Yes. What do you do? What do you do? You remember verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Yeah. A lot of times we forfeit a lot of peace and a lot of comfort. Because we forget that God is our refuge. We forget that God is our strength. We want to take refuge. We got to get away from it all. And I'm the world's worst about this. All right. Y'all want to see a hypocrite today. That's me. All right. Because, you know, I'm going to sit here and say, God is my refuge. But when I need a time out, I go to Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> there is so much noise in that place. They're playing loud music. There's 15 ball games on at once. There's so much going on. You can't focus on anything. And when you can't focus on anything, you focus on nothing. And I'm able to shut my mind down. And for 45 minutes, I'm not thinking about a thing. And it feels good. And they charge me 35 bucks for the, pri for the privilege. And suddenly I don't feel good no more. <laughs> the thing about God being your refuge is he's a lot cheaper than Buffalo Wild Wings. But we seek refuge in things, don't we? We seek refuge in food, in TV shows, in books, in novels, in, in scenic drives through the country, blaring music at the top of the speaker's capacity. We seek refuge in so many things. We seek refuge in each other. And yet when our time of refuge is over, when the waitress at Buffalo Wild Wings brings me the ticket... When the drive is over, because you can't just drive forever. When the TV show is over. When the movie is over and they're rolling the final credits and you're trying to figure out, do I keep this leftover popcorn or do I throw it away? You know, and your time of refuge is over and you walk out those doors back into the world and all of a sudden you're facing everything again. Those earthly refuges, and, and I'm not preaching against any of this stuff, by the way. I'm just letting you know that they don't get the job done. No. God is our refuge. You want true peace, true serenity. You want to be able to get away from everything for a while. Learn to take refuge in the Lord. God is our refuge and he is our strength. In other words, he keeps us going. Yes. How do we keep going day in and day out? We turn to the Lord for our strength because he is our strength. He's our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Very present help. This means that he's real. And he's there. And he helps. He's present. He's not a theological concept. He's not a distant belief. And we're not talking about a help where, and I, I, I love that song, Heaven Will Surely Be Worth It All. All right? But... We don't have to wait until heaven in order to have help from God. That's right. 
And so that's what this psalm is about. He is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. And we're reminded of this. We are reminded in Psalm 46 to put our faith and trust in the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to trust him, to turn to him, to seek refuge in him, to seek strength from him. We're reminded about this. We are reminded to do this, no matter the severity of our situation. And so God is our strength and our refuge, no matter how severe the situation is. So if I tell you God is our refuge and our strength, don't say, but Brother Leland, you don't know how bad my problem is. Because the severity does not move us beyond God's capacity for help. We are reminded to trust in the Lord because God is on his throne. There was a movie came out, I believe, in the 1980s, maybe it was the 1990s, called The Gods Must Be Crazy. And the, the, the idea is told from the point of a, of a tribesman in Africa, and, and things were going weird, and so he just thought that the gods had lost their minds. That, you know, but our God doesn't lose his mind. He's not crazy, and he's not left his throne. He is still in control of all things. We're to trust God because God is still on his throne. And then Psalm 46 demonstrates his power and calls us back into faith. So trust in the Lord regardless of the severity of your situation. You say, but Leland, you don't know my problem. You don't know my problem. I don't tell you everything I'm dealing with, okay? And you don't tell me everything you're dealing with. We still have that part of our culture that says, keep it to yourself. Show no weakness. But you do, have, you do have big problems. You do have severe problems. The world is collapsing on you. Now, it may not, you know, now somebody else may look at your situation and say, it's not a big deal. But for you, the world is collapsing on you. You've got severe problems. Verse 2 says, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the earth be removed. Well, this is an earthquake. That's a pretty severe situation. We're not going to fear. God is our refuge and strength. Though the earth be removed. Though the earth is moving beneath our feet. There's something about the ground moving beneath your feet that gets your attention. And reminds you just how feeble the things of man really are. I mean... Yeah, I've never lived through an earthquake. But one thing about earthquakes is in their aftermath, church attendance goes up. Because the solid rock beneath their feet moved, and that's not supposed to happen. You can think that we have made all these advancements as mankind, and we are conquering the earth, and we are subduing the earth, and we've got hurricane-proof buildings, tornado-proof buildings, earthquake-proof buildings. It's a, it's a big old bridge. It's a big old stadium. Everything's fine. Then the earthquake happens, and all of a sudden, it's, it's not stable anymore. I grew up in a world where I went out in my front yard. I went to town. I went to malls in the population centers of Texas, shopped at the North Park Mall in Dallas, the Northeast Mall in Hearst, went and watched the Texas Rangers play at the ballpark in Arlington with 35,000 other screaming fans. We were about half capacity that day. 
at the ballpark. You know, Texas Stadium and, and Dallas Cowboys games, 50,000 people there. Concerts, got to see, I shouldn't admit that I watched Tiffany in concert back in 1988, but I was 10, my judgment was hampered by my youth. But anyway, Six Flags. My worst fear going into crowds when I was young was if somebody picked my pocket or maybe somebody would mug you in the parking lot. But if you paid attention, you could see the guy and you could know to avoid him. Then 9-11 happened. You see, prior to 9-11, we were safe. There may be a pickpocket, there may be a mugger, but by and large, you're safe. Nowadays, you go into a place where it's crowded, a professional sporting event, a shopping center, a population center, a Christmas parade, and you got to wonder, is somebody going to commit an act of terrorism here? See, prior to 9-11, the idea of Americans being attacked on American soil, you, you just didn't hear of it. You didn't even think about it. But then 9-11 happened, and now suddenly everything's scary, right? So 9-11 I went to work that day. I got off at 8 o'clock that night. Uh, the gas stations were full of people pumping every last drop of gasoline because, you know, with the war in the Middle East, we may not get any more gasoline. Yeah. My question for people that went and filled up every tank they had is, what are you going to do when that runs out? <laughs> if this is really the end of gasoline, you know? But anyway, but I remember driving home and standing out in my front yard and this giant vehicle that I couldn't identify comes screaming down the street. What is this thing? Oh, it's a trash truck. <laughs> but everything that looked unusual, we took special attention to it, didn't we? Because our security had been shaken. Yes. Though the, we will not fear, I did. We will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the sea. When that which is permanent, when that which could not be taken down, has been taken down. When the unsinkable ship sinks, when the unbreakable breaks, when the unbendable bends, even then will we not fear. When the precious has been lost, when all that's good has been taken from us, our peace and security has been taken from us, our sense of self-reliance has been taken from us. That can happen in the blink of an eye. That's right. You know? I mean, some of y'all know too well the reality of having a stroke. That's, the, that's one of the scariest things to go through. Even then will we not fear. Though happiness has evaporated, we will not fear. Why? Because the Lord is our refuge and our strength. Verse 3 says, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, have you ever stood next to a raging river, next to a waterfall? Is it overwhelming? You ever feel overwhelmed? You ever feel like you're drowning? You ever feel powerless? Though we feel like that, we will not fear. Because the Lord is our refuge and our strength. When the worst of the worst happens, remember your refuge and your strength is in the Lord. Amen. He's your place to go to to retreat. You need to get away from everybody. Get away from everybody. 
Spend some time in your room. Pray. Yes. Listen to Christian music. Yes. Read the Bible. Yes. Read the scriptures. I've found some comfort in doing that. I've learned to find comfort in reading the Bible and, and reading about other, uh, other people's issues that they've gone through in the scriptures. Uh, King David, King Solomon, um, Isaiah is, is one of them. You know, I look at these disciples as they follow Jesus. I look at Jesus and, and, and what he went through. And, and, you know, sometimes I find myself thinking, you know, it just isn't fair. And Jesus says, yeah, I can tell you all about that. I shouldn't have to deal with this. Jesus says, yep, I know about that too. You know, um, how can you love a son and then send him away? And Jesus says, I know about that too. Because mm -hmm. the Bible says God so loved the world yeah. that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 that he's the propitiation. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for all of our sins. Yet if he gave his only begotten son for the sins of the world, then how is it that men still die and go to hell? And how does that make God feel to condemn men to hell after he paid for their sins because they remain in rebellion against him and they continue to fight and struggle against him and they continue to bring destruction to his kingdom he has to banish them how does he feel doing that have you ever thought about that for god to love somebody so much that he gave his only begotten son for them but then that they remain condemned because of their unbelief how does that make god feel if you if you may say, well, maybe God didn't pay for their sins. But does God take pleasure in the destruction of the unrighteous? The Bible tells us no. The Bible tells us that he doesn't take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. So I'm driving to the, build, to the church building one day to check to make sure I locked the door for the 15th time that day. I'm exaggerating on the number of times I checked the door. But... And I'm thinking about this. And the Lord said to me, what I deal with, you know, to learn what God goes through, to learn what his people go through, you can find strength and refuge in him. Amen. We need to learn to turn to the Lord no matter the severity of our situation. And trust in the Lord, for he is on his throne. So in the first three verses, we're reminded God is our refuge and our strength. And so we're not going to fear even though the earth be removed, even though the mountains crumble into the sea, even though the waters be troubled and the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. Verse 4. We're changing our tone here. There is a river. There is a river. I like rivers. Not so much the pecan bayou. It's, it's nice, but... You ever sat down next to a river? I mean, you ever you ever sat on the banks of the Mississippi? Or the Brazos? Or the Rio Grande? A river. You ever watched the beauty of the strength of its flow? And just admired God's creation? There's comfort there. Now, what did a river mean for ancient people? River meant for ancient people, we've got a steady stream of water coming in here. 
One of the things that made the city of Babylon so secure was that the river went through the middle of Babylon. Mm-hmm. That they could lay siege to Babylon. That's okay. They've got a 20-year food supply, and they've got a steady supply of fresh water. A river runs through it. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. What the psalmist is saying is there is a place, a wonderful place, and it's got a river and streams and God's there. There's a place. Have you ever dreamed of moving to a place? And if you could just ever move to that place, everything would be okay. Life would be good if we could live over there. Now, maybe you've grown out of that. But when I was a kid growing up in East Texas, we all dreamed of moving to Dallas. There's jobs in Dallas. There's restaurants in Dallas. There's concerts in Dallas. The Dallas Cowboys are in Irving, but close enough. Now they're in Arlington. But dark train runs out there. That's okay. We all dreamed, and when I say Dallas, I'm really meaning the entire Metroplex. All right? That big yellow blob in the middle of North Texas on the map, that's Dallas. If you grew up in East Texas, we just called the whole thing Dallas. Fort Worth would not be happy to hear that. But that's Dallas. If we could just move to Dallas, everything would be okay. That's where life is. The kids today, they dream of, the kids around here dream of growing up and moving to Austin. Where would you like to go? Where's your city? That song by Tracy Chapman, Fast Car, that's what it's all about. She's staying at home taking care of her ailing father. She wants to get out of that small town she's in. She meets a guy with a fast car, and there's a city just over the border. Maybe they could run off to the city together. Where's your city? In verse 4, the psalmist tells us about a city, and this is God's city. A river runs through it. It's a blessed happy place and instead of dreaming about dallas instead of dreaming about austin or wherever your city is we need to be dreaming about god's city we need to be dreaming about heaven hebrews eleven ten says for abraham looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is god abraham's dream was to enter god's city the city that god built the city that god had prepared for him to dwell in that's what abraham looked for And you see, we can be comforted during our time of distress because we know that that city exists. And we know that God is on his throne in the midst of that city. Verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early, which means he'll come to the rescue pretty quickly. God is in the midst of that city. He is on his throne. And if you were listening to this psalm back in ancient Israel, you would be thinking of Jerusalem and that the presence of God was still in the temple. For us, he is on his throne in heaven. He is in control. He will help. He will come through for us. We can trust him. Verse 6 says, the heathen raged and the kingdoms were moved. The heathen raged. You turn on the news today, you see the heathen raging. There's a lot of heathen out there raging. And they come in all different forms and from all different corners of the globe. We have heathen in the United States that they're raging. They're marching. They're marching against what we stand for. They're marching against who we are. They would love to shut us down. There are heathen that actually take themselves to violence against the general public. The heathen rage. And when that violence happens, more violence comes out of that. We have forgotten the biblical concept of loving our enemies. Dr. Martin Luther King explained 
when he preached, I think it was to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Birmingham, I'm not sure, but it was in the 1950s in his pastoral ministry. Before he launched the Civil Rights Movement, he told his congregation to love your enemies. Why did God teach us to love our enemies? He taught us to love our enemies in the hopes that we could win our enemies over. He taught us to love our enemies so that we can win our enemies to the Lord through the gospel. He taught us to love our enemies because that's what separates us as being God's people. Love your enemies. We've forgotten that. We have enemies and we're going to defeat our enemies. And we look at people as adver ad adversaries. But you can't win somebody who's an adversary. You can only destroy them. And so we have different groups that are set against each other who are trying to destroy each other, and that cannot happen. And so they continue to fight against each other. The heathen rage. The heathen rage. The nations, in verse 6, the kingdoms were moved. Everything is in total chaos. And then in verse 6, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. God can shut it all down with the speaking of the word. Amen. And the day will come that he will do that. Yes. He will speak his yes. word and the earth will melt. From his throne, God controls all things. You can trust him because verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. Yes. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then the psalmist demonstrates God's power. He goes back to verse 6. He says, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. The heathen raised, the kingdoms moved, the people rebelled, peace is taken from the earth, chaos reigns, but all that comes to a screeching halt when God only speaks the word. In verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. Behold the works of the Lord. Look at what all God has done. Look at the glory of his creation. Jessica and I went to the Grand Canyon. I don't know if y'all have ever been. But you go to the Grand Canyon and you walk up there to the edge and you look down in that thing and you're like, well, that's a big hole. And it's impressive, but you've seen mountain views before. So you don't really think about how special this one is. But you keep looking because you can't really seem to turn away. And as you keep looking, that Grand Canyon gets deeper. And it gets farther across. And it becomes, the more you look at it, the more three-dimensional it becomes. And the more three-dimensional it becomes, the more your breath is taken away by it. Creation of God. Look at the beauty of his creation. You look at some of the animals and some of the creatures we have. And, and, you know, the creativity of God in creating that thing. And some of them are mischievous. <laughs> the sense of humor God had in creating that thing. And you look at just the beauty of his creation. It says in verse 8, Behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. Look at the wide open country. Look at the wide open creation. Mm -hmm. And the desolations. You know, there are places that he just cleared out. Look at his interventions. Why do I have to learn to hablo espanol? Por qué? Por qué? Muchos, muchas personas hablan espanol. 
no lo comprendo. 4K! Because God scrambled our languages. Yes. Why did he do that? Because we were building a tower. Yeah. We're going to get into heaven on our own, God. We're going to build a tower. We're all going to go up in there. And God says, no, you're not. <laughs> because you don't know how to hablo espanol. <laughs> That's why they call it Babel. Because they thought they were babbling at each other. That's, the Bible says that, therefore they call the name Babel because God scrambled their languages there. Yes. <laughs> and don't even talk to me about Palavu Francais. <laughs> I know, that was bad. It was, this is why I don't try to Palavu Palavu Francais. <laughs> I'm trying Thai next. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't even, don't even, and Russian, don't, no. The only, thing, the only thing I can do with Russian is sound angry like they do. Um, but that's divine intervention. Look at his divine interventions. Look at, you know, look at the, look at the way he built up America. Yes. A bunch of farmers with pitchforks and single-shot muskets take out the most powerful military on the earth. Oh, that was a fluke. Yeah, but we turned around and did it again about 20 years later. <laughs> and, then, and then you look at the Mexican Revolution, the, the Texas Revolution. And again, you have farmers with pitchforks. They just waited till siesta. Battle of San Jacinto. How does that happen? There's divine intervention there. Why did God raise America up to a position of prominence? Even after the Civil War we endured, why did, why did God raise us up? Because he needed a homeland to spread his gospel throughout the world. The Bible says that in those days, the gospel will be preached throughout the entire world. Yes. What nation is the nation that is pulling that off? We are. What's the purpose of America? To spread God's Amen. gospel. Yes. But the, America came about because of divine intervention. Mm -hmm. Farmers with pitchforks don't take out the most powerful military in the world. But we did. Not because we were smarter, but because God was going to use us. Yes. I've talked about some pretty big things with the Grand Canyon, the creation, divine interventions. What about in your own life? Prayers that he's answered for you. Look at the works of the Lord. Behold, behold the works of the Lord. Verse 9, he maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder and burneth the chariot in the fire. Mm -hmm. God ends wars. God destroys the weapons fashioned against us. Trust in him. In verses 10 and 11, you've probably heard verse 10 before. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. Now that verse may have been a comfort to you before, but when you tack it on to the end of this discussion, it takes on a whole new power, doesn't yes, it? it does. Be still and know that I am God. Though the earth be moved, though the mountains crumble into the sea, behold the works of the Lord and be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. What he is saying is be still and know who I am. And when the dust settles... Who's going to be the one on top? God is. Yes. He's going to be victorious. He, v 
victorious. He will be exalted. He will be lifted up. He will be the victor. He will establish his kingdom. He will set everything the way it is supposed to be. Amen. And the Bible says in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. Yes. The God of Jacob is our refuge. It's a lot of discussion as to whether or not God is on our side. From the Alamo, Colonel William Travis wrote the victory, or the, uh, he wrote the, the letter where he said that God is on our side and he gave evidence. He didn't just say, I feel like God is on our side or I feel like we have the more righteous position here. When he said that God is on our side, he gave evidence. We found abandoned storehouses with food. We found additional ammo we didn't know we had. We've got these different, you know, we've got additional provisions. God's taking care of us here. You say, well, Leland, if you read the end of the Alamo story, let's see, God being on the side of the Texans at the Alamo had nothing to do with whether or not they won that battle had everything to do with their eternal destinies and what would bring glory to God. And we look at American history, and we've got a lot of flaws in American history, but God has used America to spread his glory and his gospel throughout the world. Amen. Is God on our side? Yes. Yes. He is. Yes. He is. Yes. That doesn't mean that we get the promotion. That doesn't mean that we win this particular battle that's in front of us right now. What it does mean is that we win the war. And it means that God receives us into his presence. Yes. We got issues. We, that, should be our, that should be our slogan. Life Point Baptist Church. We got issues. Well, let's do some truth in advertising here. We got issues. All of us. Y'all told me your issues. I know you got issues. You know I got issues. <laughs> there's, there's literally a long set of records that describes my issues. I got issues, and I haven't even shared most of them with you. But God is our refuge and our strength, and we can trust him to pull us through these issues. And if we learn to retreat into him and to trust him, for that refuge and that strength, we will be in so much more peace than we are right now.